In the third chapter of Genesis, we begin the background for Acts chapter 10 with a couple of important stories that lay the foundation for who you and I are and kind of what we need to look out for in who you and I are. In the third chapter of Genesis, it is the story of the man and the woman in the garden. They are disobedient. They're sort of playing with the boundaries that they've been given, and they discover in that place that they are naked. It doesn't just mean they're without clothes, as we've talked about before. Their discovery was about clothing as it had to do with the fact that they realized they were vulnerable that the world was a little more dangerous than they thought. The world wasn't quite as controllable. There were things out there that were a little scary. And what emerges is the first emotion described in the Bible. God walking through the garden, looking for the man, and the woman calls out, where are you? And the man responds, we're over here. We are hiding because we are naked and we are afraid. We are fearful because we've discovered life is not as predictable as we thought and stuff is out there that is scary to us. That's the third chapter of Genesis. The brilliance of the Bible expressing this truth in our lives that a lot of what we do, in fact, the majority of decisions we make are not out of Proactive love, like Jesus calls us to, but reactive fear, like Genesis warns us against. Because what happens now in the fourth chapter of Genesis, the very next story, the story of Cain and Abel. Cain in that story becomes afraid because it appears to him that his brother is more acceptable to God than he is. He gets scared, and out of his scare comes jealousy and envy and disgust, and he looks at his brother no longer as a human being, but as competition to be eliminated. And in the fourth chapter of Genesis, Cain kills Abel and eliminates his competition because he was afraid, and he allowed his fear to become anger uncontrolled. This serves as the background of our story today, Acts chapter 10. We are introduced to two individuals, the primary actors in this story in Acts. Their names are Cornelius and Peter. Cornelius will begin with because Luke brings him out first, and it's crucial to listen carefully to how he is introduced. In Caesarea, there lived a man named Cornelius, a centurion, a member of the Italian cohort. Listen carefully. In Caesarea, there lived a man named Cornelius. Caesarea, the name Caesarea. Now, this is in This is in Judea. It's on the Mediterranean coast. Did you catch the name? You can go, and when you go to Israel today, you can still visit the ruins of Caesarea. It was built in honor of Caesar, 
Caesar Augustus. It was a Roman city, even though it was in Judea, it was a Roman city populated, run by Roman soldiers. It was the Roman garrison. It was the cool place to be. It was remarkable, beautiful, made from the ground up by Herod the Great, desperately trying to please his Roman overseers in Italy. And it was in this very Roman, beautiful, metropolitan area where lived a man named Cornelius. Listen, a centurion in the Roman army, a lieutenant, a member of the Italian cohort. The Roman Empire is what we're talking about here, and these key cities and ports and trading centers and places where people gathered. The Romans were experts at running an empire. For over a thousand years, they knew what they were doing. And one of the ways to run a successful empire, they discovered, or at least they thought, was in these strategic places like Caesarea, named for Caesar Augustus, was to make sure that everyone in the area realized the value of recognizing their place and who was running the show. We might call this Roman superiority. Or another way of saying it would be in those places Roman privilege. The Romans were in control, and Cornelius was not just a Roman. He was a Roman centurion. There were narratives, as there are today in our ways of looking at the world, there were narratives then in the Roman world that were very clear how as a Roman, and especially a Roman soldier, you were to interact with those that you were sent to pacify. It was to first be proud of your Romanness. It was secondly to make sure everyone around you understood that they were not the same as you. It was important to draw a clear distinction between who was in control and who was best, and who was not. So Cornelius is in this place that is strategic, metropolitan, cool, important, and he is a member of what we can call the occupying army of the land where Peter lived. That was Cornelius. Peter, I think we have a photograph of both of these, so let's, let's look a little more closely at what you might recognize on both faces as mutual suspicion bordering on not just distrust, but hatred. Because if you're Peter, people like Cornelius for a long time have been telling you how to live your life. People like Cornelius have been in your land occupying your space 
and making you feel, well, let's put it this way. How would you feel if these folks showed up one day and began telling you you didn't matter as much as they did? And your way of life was inferior to their way of life. In your own land, you begin to be classified as a second-class citizen. How would you feel? Peter is not like Paul. Paul, we talked a little bit about last week. We're going to talk more about Paul next week. Paul was a Roman citizen. To be a Roman citizen, you had to carry with you very important papers stamped in leather that demonstrated you were who you said you were. We don't know exactly how Paul became a Roman citizen. We'll talk more about theories on that next week. But Paul somehow had become a Roman citizen. He had documentation to back it up and a couple of times actually pulled it out and showed people. I'm a Roman citizen. Peter, on the other hand, was not a Roman citizen. Some might call him undocumented. And an angel comes to Peter in a vision, and he has this interesting dream which prepares him for what comes next because these three visitors show up at his door in Joppa and they say, we would like for you to come with us to Caesarea. Now, you are not a Roman citizen. Caesarea is a Roman city. The garrison of the Roman soldiers are in that city. You're a Jewish guy who is, to Roman eyes, suspicious, untrustworthy, second class. And you know this. And you're Peter, and you've been instructed to go to a Gentile city where the army occupying your land is housed And you also know the law, which says, as Luke reminds us in the 10th chapter, it is against Leviticus for Jews to interact with Gentiles, especially in a Gentile city. But this Gentile Roman centurion is inviting him, not just inviting, but telling him to come to his house. How do you feel? Peter has had a vision which prepared him for this moment, but still, you can imagine the emotions that are flowing through Peter right now. I don't know about this. This feels a little strange to me. For one thing, I don't like these people. I don't trust these people. I'm not sure about this whole situation. And yet we can 
feel and hear as Luke describes this, neither of these individuals would have interacted with the other or shown any kind of appreciation or respect to the other unless something else was at work. And what was it? Luke says, the Spirit of God had moved within Cornelius' heart, had softened his spirit, and in Peter, in his heart, his mind, and spirit, in both these two men who ordinarily would never want to interact with each other. Somehow in the, the mystery of God's providence in this story of the 10th chapter of Acts, there's something going on. The movement of the spirit is at work. And Peter goes to Caesarea. Now the other dynamic at work here, it's not just the fact that there's this law that Peter's worried about. It's not just the fact that he's not quite sure he can trust the people he's with. There's also this whole thing of his own friends and family. You notice there's a delegation of folks that go with them. And the way Luke portrays it, it's as though they, they, they want to go because they're excited. In fact, this may be an armed escort for protection, strength in numbers. It's very clear this story, though moving along at a fairly rapid pace and in ways that feel light and, and gentle, in fact, have tremendous weight behind the words. There's a lot of stuff going on here. And Luke, coming out of his own context, kind of expects us to understand the level of anxiety that both of these groups of people would have been feeling. You don't just go to a place where you're not wanted, where you're not respected, where your dignity is continually stamped down. You just don't do that unless something else is at work. And the Spirit is, is doing something in Cornelius' heart and in Peter's heart. Both of them probably were a little afraid. But fear is an interesting thing. One of our chaperones, Linda Seals, shared with me this great wisdom on the word fear. F-E-A-R. False evidence appearing real. I'm fairly certain that Cornelius, since he was a little boy, was taught that to be Roman was to be very special. No one else fit those categories of Romanness. Cornelius, I'm sure, was fed this narrative from when he was just a, a little kid. And Peter, likewise, was probably told, don't trust those people. Don't ever put your, yourself in a situation where you can be taking, taken advantage of. But what Cornelius and Peter apparently began to discover is the stories they've been told, the narratives that they've been fed were false evidence appearing to be real. Amen. Playing to our fears as lots of folks in our society do very well. 
telling us stuff that just isn't really true. The Cato Institute did a study not long ago on undocumented immigrants and the level of violent crime. The question was, is there an increase in violent crime when undocumented immigrants enter into a community or not? What the Cato Institute discovered was that undocumented immigrants were 25% less likely to commit a crime than native-born Americans. They also discovered that naturalized immigrants were, listen to this, 87% less likely to commit a crime in the United States than native-born Americans. Communities that have immigrants, documented and undocumented, have lower crime rates. Don't just take my word for it. You can look this up for yourself and realize that we are being taken advantage of. We are being manipulated. We are being made afraid when in fact the facts are not what we've been told. There's false evidence that's appearing to be real, but it's not. And Christians like you and me need to say, wait a minute, where did you get that? Hold on just a second. We love this country, yes. But we also are called to love the people in this country and beyond this country. And Peter and Cornelius somehow began to figure that out because in the 10th chapter of Acts, the Spirit was at work doing something in the hearts and minds of people who ordinarily wouldn't have listened. Somehow, the Spirit broke through the narratives that they were being fed. And likely Peter, as he walked from Joppa to Caesarea, was remembering what Jesus taught him over and over again. Maybe remembered that story when the man came to Jesus and said, Lord, what is it I must do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, you know the scriptures, you tell me. And he said from Deuteronomy, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And from Leviticus, love your neighbor as you love yourself. And Jesus said, that's exactly right. Do this and you will come alive. And then he said, the man did, but then who is my neighbor? And Jesus tells a story that is so controversial, we still have not digested it. We're still trying to figure it out. But Jesus tells a story where the hero of the story is an undocumented alien who is an enemy called a Samaritan. What is Jesus doing? He's saying, well, your neighbor is a person you least expect. And Leviticus 19.34 says, not just love your neighbor as you love yourself, but love the stranger, the alien, the other, as you love yourself. And 1 John, probably Peter is realizing all this. 1 John chapter 4, this was one of the verses we used on our youth retreat that Kelsey brought out to us in, in dealing with one another. This is not a request. 
Listen to the way it's worded. Those who love God must love their brothers and sisters. And Peter is probably thinking in his head, well, who is my neighbor? Who are my brothers and sisters? Well, it's those people that I don't understand, have very little in common with. And yet, somehow the Spirit is at work in Cornelius, stranger, occupying the land. Peter, this undocumented guy that never would have been comfortable with Cornelius. And then we have a photograph at the end of the story where Cornelius is looking still a little suspicious, but look at Peter. There's something joyful about figuring this love thing out and and just realizing it's okay to to listen to a new story. Like, Like jazz, pushing the boundaries of the ordinary and discovering the the new has the same tune, the same words, but it's even more beautiful. And it changes everything. And do you notice at the very end of the scripture that our youth read so well, Cornelius and his family, listen carefully, invited Peter and his friends to stay for a while. And they did for several days. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of God.